Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line. Connor Tate is going to round third. He will score. And rounding third is Blaylock. He will score. And the dogs walk it off. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Classic City Sports Podcast. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams here. Uh, We missed a couple weeks. Everybody's traveling and doing stuff, so it's kind of been a busy couple of weeks in the summer here. always is around this time of year for us. We usually take a little bit of time off, uh, but we are here ready to go back in full swing for you as fall camp is just now starting for Georgia. Football season is here, ladies and gentlemen, so it is time to jump into all of it. As you can see in the high – or in the – the title of the, the episode here, Jim Harbaugh making comments coming after Georgia and something that they hold dear to their heart right now and that they use all the time in recruiting, I'm sure. So we are coming for that. Or we're talking about that. And then uh, Kirby's first presser of the fall camp time just happened today. So we're going to talk about some stuff that stuck out to us in that and things that we focused on and that you should pay attention to as well. Uh, and then just we're going to talk about some spring ball stuff that we're looking for and everything like that in the future. Jonathan, how are we feeling after being off for two weeks? Man, it sucked being gone for two weeks. You know, I always hate it sucks because, you know, we only do one show a week. That's when we have it scheduled. So like you have a small window of when you can and that's not always going to align. So I hated not being able to do a show for two weeks, basically. But with the season approaching, that shouldn't be a problem. We should be able to get shows in every single week, getting back into a more consistent schedule as the season approaches. So I'm super excited for that. Super excited that football is freaking back. I was telling John Chuckery today on 92.9 The Game that I'm like, man, I'm just excited that we get to talk about actual games soon. Like we, me and you will get to sit here and talk yeah. about what happened on Saturdays. There's no more of these questions of like, well, this is what we think is going to happen. Or like, what do you think this season is going to look like? None of that stuff anymore. It's soon going to be about, hey, how about them dogs this last Saturday? How about, how about what Carson Beck did? How about what Brock Bowers did? That's what we get to talk about. And that's the good stuff right there. That's good for the soul right there. So I'm really excited about that, but of course, glad to be back in studio or in studio in quotations with yeah. you. We'll get the studio back up here soon as well. Let's put, that's sure. the, that's my next goal. Moved uh, locations on that and haven't got it all set up and ready to go, but we'll have that going as the season comes to a start and everything as well. So working on that, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Talking season is coming to an end. We, we do that segment on here. We haven't really done it as much this year. Haven't had as much. Uh, Funny what happens when you win back-to-back national titles. Yeah. There's not too many people talking yeah. about you anymore. Nobody's really coming after you unless your name is Jim Harbaugh, but. 
Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, like, let's go into, let's talk about Kirby Smart's presser first, and we'll get to Jim Harbaugh here in a minute. Um, first thing that you just brought up right there, I realized, I, I forgot about it when I was just telling you the couple of things that I took away from that press conference, and you just triggered my memory when you said that, was uh, one thing that people do keep talking about is Georgia's strength of schedule and everything like that. Kirby Smart was asked in his presser today about the the way he thinks that the the college football playoff committee will look at the schedule that they have considering that Oklahoma's not on there anymore. They've replaced it with Ball State, so now you don't have a great out-of-conference game. Uh, best out-of-conference game you have is Georgia Tech, and that's not necessarily a good thing at all. Um, you're essentially still playing a UAB or something like that. Shots fired at, at Georgia Tech real quick there. But um, his comment or his response to that was, first of all, do I have any control over what the college football committee does in the situations? The answer to that was obviously no. And he goes, all right, well then I don't concern myself with something that I don't have control over. Right. That's what he said. And he was like, we do our best to try to schedule as good of games out of conference as we can, because that's what we try to do around here. We try to play, we, you know, we try to play all of our conference games, play Georgia tech and then try to mix in at least one other really good team in there when we can. And Georgia's done a really good job at trying to schedule those games. Once again, Oklahoma was on the schedule. Can't control the fact that there was a realignment in the sec adding those teams. And it kind of shook up all of your, your situation there. So it is what it is when that happens. But his response was, Honestly, I don't. I have never once given thought to what the college football committee is going to say. And when I heard that question, I honestly was like, I was like, did somebody really just ask that question? Honestly, because you expect Kirby Smart to go into the situation thinking, what do I do if I lose a game? Are they going to consider that? And first of all, you could lose a regular season game as long as you still go win in Atlanta, and then it doesn't matter. And then the flip side is, win all your regular season games. You happen to drop the game in Atlanta. It's against a very good opponent because it's going to be whoever wins the West that year. So it's a good opponent, and it's a adds to your strength of schedule if you're a one loss sec champion uh, appearance kind of thing right like you lost that game i still think that unless there's some serious newcomers or teams that really have to kind of pop up out of nowhere that we haven't seen lately um make the run for the college football playoff you have a very, really good argument of still being in there as long as the other team on the sec isn't necessarily um the best out there as well which is possible right you could have two teams in the sec championship game like georgia versus alabama has happened in the past and then you still meet in the playoffs that could still happen as well. You could get two SEC teams in there. So the the question itself kind of threw me off. I, I was really surprised to hear somebody ask that. I thought it was a, a pointless question, a waste. You only get a few questions in this whole press conference for Kirby Smart, and that's what you decided to ask. Um, I thought he did a really good job of answering it, saying, you know, it doesn't matter because I don't concern myself with something I have no control over. And I think that's what Georgia fans have that same type of mentality is you can say what you want about our strength of schedule in the talking season. You can say what you want, but guess what? Come out and play our schedule was one thing that was said at one point. I think by Kirby, wasn't it? Come play our. Yeah, schedule. it was at Kirby. It was by Kirby Smart at SEC Me today. Someone asked the same question about the what would you say to people that are criticizing your strength of schedule? He said, "Come play it." Everybody yeah. wants to talk about our strength of schedule and how it. There's nobody on it, but how about you come play it yourself and let's yeah. see how you fare there. And I, you know, that's the whole thing is that you know in July. Georgia's schedule may not look like anything, and it may not end up being anything at all. They may just cruise through it, play maybe two top 25 teams throughout the entire year, and they cruise on to another division title, and they cruise on to another SEC championship game. But, like, just two years ago, 2021, raise your hand if you had Arkansas being a top 10 opponent when Georgia played them in, an Ath- in Athens. Nobody. Nobody, Nobody mm-hmm. had them ranked as a top 10 opponent. Last year, like, who would have expected that Tennessee was going to be the number one team in the country when they came into Athens? 
Hardly anybody would have yeah, told you. Nobody saw that with coming, you on that. unless you were a Tennessee fan or something, or a beat writer for Tennessee. Like nobody saw them being ranked that high when they came into Athens last year. Not exactly. a single person. So what happens when one of these other SEC East teams starts making waves? You know, what if Missouri ends up being pretty good this year? What if South Carolina becomes a team that people are saying that they will become with Spencer Rattler coming into another year after coming off of a huge momentum builder there at the end of the season? Or what if Kentucky continues to be successful under Mark Stoops? What if Ole Miss is leading the West when they come into Athens this year? You know, so yeah, in July or in early August, it may not look like anything, but it's it's like everything else that's talked about in the offseason. It's just speculation. And you yeah. don't, and so like, it's easy to criticize it now, but we have no idea what these teams are going to be in October or November or any month for that matter. So it's just a, like, like Dan's saying in the comments, there's a bunch of what, what if? ifs. And that's why I was saying, man, I cannot wait for the season to get here because there's no more what ifs. It's just What's going on? What's happening now? Concrete evidence to talk about. Pads pop. Once the pads start popping, there's no more questions. It is what you are, mm-hmm. who you are, and you're going to do what you're going to do. And I'll, I'll make a prediction right now talking about the strength of schedule. I know you said maybe you get two top 25 opponents by the end of the year. I think I think Georgia gets three top 25 opponents on that schedule when they play them. Whether or not they're still in that top 25 when it's all said and done, um, I'm not sure. I know Tennessee will still be in the top 25. Uh, when when it's all said and done, I think that Tennessee is going to be competitive again. I, I'm not saying they're going to be the same level they were last year. They do have a new quarterback. They got some stuff to figure out there as well. But they were a good team last year, and I think that they will be a top 25 team when it's all said and done as well. The other two teams that I think will be a top 25 team uh, when you play them or potentially still be there at the end of the year is at South Carolina. I really do think South Carolina is going to have a decent season. I'm not saying they're going to go out there and be – in the last two games of the regular season competing for the East title necessarily, because I think that's a Georgia Tennessee battle when it's all said and done. But I think that they're going to be competitive this year. I think they're going to win some games. They started looking really good last year. They still have Spencer Rattler. They've got some continuity there uh, on their roster. And I think they're going to build on what they did at the end of the year last year. So I think South Carolina is another team to look for overall. And then I I really do think Ole Miss is going to be a top 25 opponent. I'm not saying they're going to be leading the division, the West division when they get there, but it is a later season matchup. So I really do think that they're going to be a good team overall. Once they got to figure out some defense, obviously we've talked about that on the show before to actually be able to win more games. That's, that's a, a very important piece that they don't really have, but I do think that they are capable of being a top 25 opponent on Georgia's roster. And that's a home game for Georgia. So that's helpful as well. And so is South Carolina. Uh, the only one of those three games that's on the road is going to Knoxville and play in Tennessee. So that's beneficial to Georgia as well because the environment in Sanford Stadium definitely helps the team. I'm not saying it's the best environment in the world. Um, and, and in the SEC, I think there are some really good atmospheres in college football, especially when you go up to Knoxville. Those fans are going to be rowdy this year. They also can hold, what, 110 people or 10,000 mm-hmm. people or something like that. It's ridiculous. You have like this fans. much space to sit on. Yeah. That's but, why but they the, can the fact people. is they're going to stuff fans in there those fans are going to be loud because they think they have something to prove this year because of what was said prior to the georgia game and because of the environment that the georgia game provided them so i think they're going to have something to prove so that's a tough environment to go in but the other two games that might be top 25 matchups are going to be at home for georgia so that's i think they're not going to have a problem in the regular season you might have some close games mixed in there because maybe there is a team i mean i'm i'm not saying kentucky can't be competitive i just don't necessarily think kentucky is going to be you know, they struggled last year and they still had Will Levis. And this year, I think they, you know, they've got some stuff to figure out. So I don't know if they're going to be at that level, but that's also a home game for Georgia this year. So I think you get those three right there is, is the top 25 matchups you get in Georgia or for Georgia this year. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the SEC East is starting to get some teams that are beginning to be consistently good or showing signs that they could be consistently good or better than they were in years past. You know, if Shane Beamer can continue to build upon what he did last year at South Carolina, that's a team that is going to be competitive in the East. Tennessee looks to be a team that is going to be competitive for the foreseeable future. Kentucky under Mark Stoops has been competitive. You know, they may they may not be the glamorous college football team that everybody wants to watch and sit down on a Saturday night. It may be a little boring sometimes and it may just, you know, they, they don't have all of the bells and whistles that everybody else has, but they've, I believe they've made a bowl game every single year under Mark Stoops or something like that. Like they have been, a, yeah, they've been a successful program under Kentucky. So if you can get at those four teams, including Georgia can remain the same and remain competitive and maybe Florida can start creeping in. I mean, the East is going to be competitive time for Florida. Even then, it doesn't matter because divisions are no longer going to exist, at least for the 2024 season. So none of that talk even matters. So, yeah. But I thought another thing that was interesting during Kirby Smart's presser is he started talking about the secondary, specifically someone asked about the leadership at that position, and then also just Javon Bullard because he's going to be moving back to safety this year. And what's that kind of looking like for him? And I thought it was interesting, not only that he said that they have the best leadership and the most leadership at that position than anywhere else on the roster because you have guys like Dan Jackson, Kamari Lasser, Javon Bullard, Malachi Starks, Tyke Smith, a bunch of guys to list off there, so much leadership there. But also because he said he thinks that Javon Bullard is one of the best 11 players on the team. And so because of that, it's about finding who are the best players to play around Javon Bullard. And so that to me is like, okay, Bullard is your cornerstone of this defense. He is who he is your centerpiece this year, not only in that secondary, but kind of who you're modifying this defense around because it's all because Bullard has played star for the most part. Last year, that's what he played for George last year. He excelled at that role. But now that you lose Christopher Smith, you kind of, you want to bump him back to safety, not only because of that, but because Tyke Smith is finally 100% healthy going into the season for like the first time ever that he's been in Athens. And then yeah. you got this new guy named Jonel Aguero, who's a freaking monster, and he's pounding on the door already, and he's going to play meaningful snaps for Georgia on defense this year. And both of those guys need to be playing star. But Javon Bullard needs to be on the field as well. So you put him in at safety, and you can be flexible in the secondary, yeah. and you can be multiple in the secondary. So I've, I mean, I think that secondary is going to be the best and the most talented in the entire country. Kamari Lasseter is already, but dude, we know that much. The only question that you have is who's going to be the starter alongside of him? Is it going to be Dalen right. Everett? Is it going to be Nylon Green? Or is someone else going to sneak up on them and take the starting job from them? Even then, all the those two options that I just listed, I think Georgia fans would be fine with either one of them. They both have, they both are really good football players. They both were yeah. highly touted coming out of high school, and they're both are ready for that starting job. It's just a dogfight to see who gets to be claimed as cornerback number two on the team. So that that unit for Georgia is going to be something special. And I think it's really what is going to drive this defense this year when it's been the linebacker play and defensive line in years past. Yeah, absolutely. And you just brought up the the competition for cornerback number two. And a guy that I've always been kind of high on, he hasn't quite stepped up to the, the caliber that I thought he might be out of high school originally, was Nyland Green. And I, he was one that when he was coming in as a freshman, I, I came on this show and I said, He's the, he's the freshman that I think could actually make an impact early. Obviously, we saw some stuff shake out a little different at that position that year, and it is what it is on there. So it's taken him a little bit longer to develop uh, than, it, than we originally thought he would. Um, but this is his chance, right? This is his chance to go claim that starting spot and see what he can do. Um, but yeah, talking about Javon Ballard is... One of the things that he, what he made the comment on was it, it's not about what position that Bullard can 
play best himself. It's what position he can play best that we can stack the other 10 guys around him at, right? So if there's another guy that could play star, but couldn't quite play safety, well, then we're going to move him to safety and we're going to let the other guy play star because we can build it around him at that point. I think the, the biggest takeaway is the fact that you're confident in the fact that Javon can go in there and play where you need him to be. And I think that's what he's earned. He's earned the, the, the right to say, I can do what you need me to do. You put me on the field and I'll make plays one way or the other. Now, I personally really like seeing him at star because he is such a hard-hitting, you know, that that like hybrid safety linebacker type thing. And he, he did so well blitzing off that scene or off the uh, the slot, you know, receiver right there and, and making plays. He did it against TCU. He did it against Ohio State. He did it against every big opponent against Tennessee. He had like two sacks or something in that game, I think. Um, I don't know actually if he was credited with two, but I know he had hit the quarterback on like three of those. Uh, I think he might have got the ball away, at least one of them. But he was in the backfield every time they sent him and nobody could stop him. So I like him at that position. But at the same time, if there's somebody else that can play star really well, then they can move him back to safety and fill that role. And I think that that's that's what you love to see in these players. I think Kirby Smart was actually asked about the versatility of some other players and and getting the new guys in there and cross-training them and stuff. And one of the things he said was, you don't really cross-train a freshman, incoming freshman because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of stuff going on. They really need to focus on one thing and let it happen, right? So if you've got a young guy that can come in and play star and they can focus on that, then that's what you're going to do. And you trust the fact that you know that Javon can go back at safety and cross train and do it and, and do it at a high level because he understands the defense that they're running at this point. Um, another really big thing that stood out to me flipping sides to the offense is he was asked about because he made a comment at SEC Media Day that you're you're looking for somebody in that running back room to step up in the the pass catching ability out of the backfield and making plays that way. And he kind of you know he talked about everybody for a second, but he really focused in on Cash Jones and he talked about which if you had that on your bingo card of somebody that's going to really step up for Georgia in the running back room this year, hats off to you because I didn't see that one coming as well. But he's been talking about him in a very positive light, and he's somebody that's going to come in. He he said in his own words that he is probably the fastest running back that Georgia has, and he's probably also the strongest player pound for pound on the entire team. And so he's he's in there doing work right now. So he's trying to earn that time. I know you got Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards that are going to be your headliners most likely. But from what he made it sound like in his presser today is Cash Jones is going to get meaningful snaps and he's going to make a a positive impact on this roster, on this offense this year that does have a running back room with a couple of established guys. And that's that's impressive to me that he's been able to make his name in in spring ball and then you know so far through the summer, all that, that he has earned the, the right for Kirby Smart to talk about him and oppressor about how much he has impressed him. I, I took – that was a huge takeaway for me. Yeah, he's not going to just go in there and name drop somebody if it doesn't hold any merit. So the fact right. that he is bringing up Cash Jones and he is talking about him in that in that type of way, then, yeah, you can expect a good dose of Cash Jones this year. So I can't wait for all the memes that come out about Cash Jones this year. That should be really fun. But – I think that's a huge that should almost that should be a huge sigh of relief for Georgia fans because uh, at least for me because like a question that I kind of had going into this year was all about running back death and I think I think it kind of um, created some concern for it when they brought they got Savon Clark to come back a, a walk on who entered the transfer portal and they got him to come back and then yeah. on top of that they get I believe his name is Isaiah Whitehead who was at Tennessee and they bring right. him on as a walk on as well. I think part of that has to do with the fact that Branson Robinson is still a little banged up, which he talked about that. And he said, he's going to be fine. He's going to be able to do some work during fall camp this year. 
um, this year. So he should be probably ready to go nearing 100% by the time the season rolls around. But still, you know, you just got... And you like still got Kendall, Andrew Paul with a messed up knee and stuff. Yeah, too. Yeah, so. Andrew Paul's trying to get himself back to normal. Yeah. Kendall Milton has always kind of had to deal with that hamstring injury or any um, injuries in general. So you just don't know what could happen there. So it's just a lot of questions that you don't want to go into a season and bank on Kendall Milton have his first ever 100% healthy season or Dejon Edwards not having a nick up throughout the year and him being sidelined yeah. for two, two weeks. Like you don't want to bank on that not happening. So the fact that you do have Cash Jones and you can wiggle him in there every now and then and just have him be able to continue to use the offense that you want to be able to use. You know, Kenny McIntosh and James Cook were both vital to Georgia's offensive yeah. success the past few years in the passing game. And we weren't sure if Dejon Edwards or Kendallman were going to be able to fill out that role. I don't think that they were a hundred like by all means, they are talented enough to take on that role. It's not in the some style capacity. that they play, though. It's they, yeah, they it, play a different style of running back. It doesn't fit their mold. So the fact that you right. do have a Cash Jones in there who has the speed and who has the ability to do that, it certainly brings up that offense and brings some more confidence to you as a play caller, as a quarterback. So you saw a good bit of you saw Carson Beck throw it to him, or both all three of the quarterbacks were looking Cash's Jones way on G Day. So yeah, they were interested to see how that plays out throughout the year. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, the last one that I'll talk about uh, from the pre- press conference from Kirby Smart was Xavier Z- uh, Sori was a guy that he brought up and he said how much he's been able to step up and how much he's impressed with uh, Smile Mondon being, uh, uh, yeah, being out uh, with his injury this this uh, offseason and how much of the opportunity he's gotten and how much he's made of that opportunity. And I think that's huge for that room considering you've got some guys banged up. Uh, that was a huge takeaway for me today. Yeah, it seems like, you know, the same way you talked about Nyland Green, that's kind of the way that I think people have talked about Xavier Sori throughout his career. Yeah. It's like, man, what is the deal here? Like, that kid is so talented. He was a five, I believe he was a five star coming out of high school. Yeah, he hasn't really cracked the lineup yet. And so now he's gotten his opportunity w- with Munden dealing with his injury. So, yeah, big plus for the fact that Kirby Smart is saying that he's looked good in camp and that he's really impressed them because it just continues to add more depth. Georgia is fine at linebacker. They're going oh, yeah. to be fine depth-wise at linebacker for the foreseeable future. As long as Glenn Schumann is there and whatnot, you're going to be just fine at linebacker. But you can never have too many guys that you can rotate in, and Georgia has no problem whatsoever rotating linebackers in and out. And so he may not even start a single game this year, but he might get some meaningful burn this year, and he's gonna he might make some big time plays for you. And if that's all he's good for this year, I think Georgia is completely fine with that. And that, Channing Tindall is a perfect example of this. You don't have to start games no. to get yourself a ticket to the NFL. So if Xavier Soria can do that, be that type of player, and make the most of his snaps every single Saturday, he's going to make himself a career past college football. Uh, for sure. And Kirby talked about him and he said over the last four to five months, he's made the most progress and, and that he's made in his entire career. So he's really making strides in the right direction. And part of that is because you got Mondon out and that gives him the opportunity. It gives him the reps and he's making the most of those. That's something that I really like hearing because sometimes, you know, they're just begging for the opportunity, begging for the opportunity and you give them the opportunity and they don't necessarily do what you need them to do. He has done what he needs to do with the opportunity he's gotten. And I think that's that's a great takeaway. And I think that's great in the sense, too, that, you know, everybody asks the question of like, why is so-and-so sticking around? Or why isn't so-and-so going into the transfer portal? He is not going to play here. You know, he has these, this many dudes ahead of him on the depth chart. Like, he he needs to go somewhere else if he is going to get playing time. You know, they say it about the quarterbacks. They say it about a lot of players. They say it about Nylon Green and whatnot. You know, why isn't he hitting the transfer portal? That dude could start yeah. for 95% of college football programs today if he wanted to. Xavier Sori is the same way. He could go and start for 
90% of college football programs right now if he wanted to. He could enter the portal and yeah. go play somewhere else, and he would be a starter for all 12 games in the regular season. But then you hear stuff like this where he's kind of waited his turn. He's remained patient. He's stuck around at Georgia despite Jamon, Jamon Dumas Johnson being ahead of him and Samal Mondon being ahead of him and all these other guys getting load, loads of work in. Yet then you hear Kirby Smart say, He's made the most strides of his career the last four months, and now he is ready. He is ready to take on that role of being an every-down player if we need him to be on Saturdays. That's why these guys stick around. That's why they're not hitting the portal, because they know the best place. maybe the best place for me to be is on the bench at Georgia. Maybe that's where I need to be to make sure that I can continue to pursue my dreams of being an NFL player. Maybe it's not to go play linebacker for Mississippi State this year and go get 90 tackles but not be on anybody's radar. Maybe it is to go get 50 tackles, four tackles for loss, and three sacks, and then I get to be a second-round pick. You know, it is those types of things. That is That does yeah. matter. Playing, you know, sticking around and being developed by those coaches that Georgia has on their staff, those things do matter, and I think that's coming to fruition right now. And one thing that Georgia, that the staff there has, and Kirby has proved since he's been there is, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you don't have to be the starter to be able to, to do it. And you don't have to have three years as a starter to be able to do it and, and make your headway into the NFL and get drafted at a good position. Like you mentioned earlier, Tyndall was never even a starter in his entire career and then got drafted pretty high and is, is going to be you know a solid NFL player. So he, they have proven that they can do that. And their ability, the staff's ability to convince guys to come back when they are on the fence of transferring has been incredible that is one of the biggest feats that I think Kirby has had was the guys that he really wants to stay he figures out a way to get them to stay even though they're looking at the stuff I mean we've talked about this before Mims was all but signed sealed delivered to go to FSU and then all of a sudden he comes back and he comes back and he sits on the bench for another year too and now he's going to get his chance so like their ability to do that and, and convince these guys I think is something that people don't pay attention to enough that is really really important and speaking of going towards the draft right You've got all of these guys trying to to get to that spot, and Georgia's shown that they can do it. Well, now Jim Harbaugh's out there making comments about the draft, and after recently talking about having a practice period about beat Georgia, well, now he's coming for something else from Georgia, and I'll kick it to you to, to kind of lead this one. So I this isn't the only comment that Jim Harbaugh has made this offseason where I've just kind of been like, what are we doing, dude? Like, wh- why are you doing this to yourself? Wh- like, why are you putting these expectations on yourself right now when there's no need to? So this one that he made recently, he says, I think we'll have 20 guys picked in the next NFL draft. I bet we break that draft record. 20. So in case you forgot, Georgia had 15 players selected in the 2022 NFL draft. NFL draft record, most players ever taken in a single draft class. 15 of them. Jim Harbaugh is saying, we're going to have five more than that. So by all means, what I'm hearing from Jim Harbaugh is not only does he have the most talented roster in all of college football this year, he has the most talented college football roster in NFL in college football history, and that he should, by all means, win a national title this year. And yeah. this, th- this is what really, really gets me about Jim Harbaugh this year, is that this is, comes after he made comments linking his own quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, to the likes of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. And like you said, we have a practice period that's called Beat Georgia. Like, yeah. Michigan is living a good life right now. Jim Harbaugh is living a good life right now. You got a two-game win streak against your biggest rival, Ohio State, the game of college football as it is labeled. You have a two-win streak there. 
You've made back-to-back college football playoff appearances. Now, they may not have gone as you had hoped they would, but nonetheless, you have made the dance two years yeah. in a row. You have been that close to making a national title berth in two years in a row. Why are you coming and poking the bear? Why are you coming and putting a target on your back like that? Just kick back and ride the wave, brother. Why, like, why are we doing this to ourselves, man? It just makes no sense. So you made a comment about them living their best life. You know who's not living their best life? Recruits that go there. Did you see the food that they were serving them? Dude, over there? that was oh my nasty. God. It was, it was so terrible. bad. It, so, it, it, was, it was worse than the, I think it was the Pac-12 media days serving yeah. tinfoil hamburgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, bro. Like, what are we doing? I know it's the media. I know y'all don't care about the media, but man, we're people too. We don't need no prison food being served to us. Like, we're better than that. <laughs> it looked terrible. Chicken it looked tenders like something and would, frozen yeah. mac and cheese. Like, get on bad. out of here with that, man. What? Mm. But no, going <laughs> on the serious part of the topic is, go, like, Making those comments, yeah, you're exactly right. When you you say that your roster is that good, because that is by far, that's not even just saying he's going to get 16, 17, just barely you know, creep over what Georgia was able to accomplish. He is saying, I'm going to blow it out of the water. I'm going to go 33% above what Georgia did, and we're going to have 20 of them. Well, when you go out there and you start struggling, and everyone's going to start looking, you're just giving every media perks talking about not liking the media. Well, guess what? You're really not going to like the media when you drop a regular season game and they're going, all right, but what happened to the 20 guys that you're going to get drafted this year? Are they not Are they not going to get drafted anymore? What are we doing? You just gave them some bulletin you know, material to use against you, and you're giving other teams bulletin board material. You're giving Ohio State bulletin board material saying, oh, they think they're that good, huh? Like. And they've got a two-game win streak against them. So now you just give them some more fuel to the fire to want to come in there and just stomp you. Like that's that's what you're doing when you're making comments like that. Seeing head coaches come out and make comments of that nature in the offseason, or at all, honestly, it's just bizarre to me. Just just you're the head coach, man. Put your head down and do your work and, and think, answer the questions that are asked, but don't go out there just saying some reckless stuff. I think he even doubled down. I, I don't think he said this. Um, with the same quote that we're talking about with the 20 draft picks. But I think at one point he did say this. He said that he thinks that he has eight offensive linemen that will be drafted this year. Eight of them. Eight? Eight of them. How's that even? Now, how, I, how would you possibly have eight guys get drafted? I don't know, but I get it. They've won the Joe Moore Award back-to-back years. But at the same time, we've seen what happens to your offensive line when they need to show up. That's, that's part of the reason why you haven't made a national title game in the past two years, despite being in the playoff. Yeah, you're very much the on reason. But every time and you get into a good game against a team like yeah. even TCU. And like the reason why Michigan's offensive line is always so it's like always in the bright shining light, I think, for media is because, you know, you go and watch their games and yeah, they move people because that is what their offense is. They got eight people down on the line of scrimmage and it's all right, boys, let's go beat our head against the wall for four quarters and win this football game with Blake Corum behind us. That's what their offense is. It's I mean, it is pound, pound, pound. And yeah, they look good doing it against some big 10 teams. And then you go and try that, try it against Georgia and that didn't go so it, well. It doesn't bode over too well for you. And you get embarrassed. It didn't even go well against TCU. No. Uh, so TCU was getting to the quarterback and, and, and getting them on their butts and stuff like that. So, like, it don't you, you got to come up and when you get into the playoffs, it's not you can't just keep making the playoffs and get first round exits every time. You can't be what Oklahoma was with Lincoln Riley. That's all they could do. They could get to the playoffs every year, but they could not do it. They could not get over that hump and win a playoff game. And so and, they weren't getting national championship appearances. 
You can't make that same type of recipe by just beating up on your your Big Ten teams and bullying them just to come find out that, guess what, your offensive line and your offense cannot bully people anymore when you get out of that conference. It doesn't work the same way. Yeah, and you know, you may say like, oh, well, it's just one game where they didn't show up. Like, that's not going to mean anything for them. I would beg to differ. I think that a lot of the time when you're going throughout someone's NFL draft evaluation, like if you say, all right, we're looking at this Michigan left tackle. This is who is someone that is on our board. We're going to evaluate him, and he's someone that is going to be our radar. You look through all his game film, you can say, "Mm -hmm. do we want to watch him play against Rutgers? Do we want to watch him play against Eastern Michigan? Or do we want to watch how he fared against the number one defense in the nation against Georgia? How about we see how he lined up against the best team in the country? Click, oh, he got put on his butt the first snap of the game. Those things matter, and like, that I think Georgia has kind of become like the measuring stick for these type of NFL draft evaluations. Like CJ Stroud is a perfect example of this. I don't think people had CJ Stroud as the number one quarterback on their board, which he didn't end up being the number one quarterback taken off the board, but he certainly had his stock rise a good bit after this performance against Georgia by all means was the most phenomenal quarterback play that Georgia had ever seen that season. And probably in the last two years was CJ Stroud last year in the peach bowl. Now he didn't win the game. He made me look good. It was the prettiest loss from a quarterback I've ever seen in a college football yeah. playoff game. So I think so that's what I'm saying though, is that like you got to show up when it matters most. And so yeah, you personally may think that you have eight NFL draft picks on your offensive line 12 games out of the year. But what about game number 13 or game number 14 or game number 12 against Ohio State? How'd they fare that week? So Jim Harbaugh yeah. just talking recklessly, man. Just no Got to show up when the games no matter. Reason. Everyone can talk about what they do during the regular season, but nobody cares what you did in your regular season if you fall flat on your face when you finally get into the spotlight, right? When you get into those big games, that's what matters. And like, just to go back to what you just said, eight, eight offensive linemen, let's talk about the logistics of this. What does that mean that you're doing? That one, it means that you have to have eight guys that are upperclassmen, junior seniors, and are you going to be rotating guys like throughout the whole year to like prove... It, you start five guys, and unless you got people getting injured and somebody stepping up and showing that they're doing that, like mid-season to still get half the season, like how how on earth are you planning to get eight offensive linemen drafted? That you get five, you have five on the field. That's all you have. So you're saying every single one of your starters are going to get drafted, and then three of the reserves are going to get drafted. <laughs> Come on, man, you're just talking out your butt now. That's Boy, all you're we- doing. We are in for some type of treat if this is the type of season that Michigan is about to have. I mean, my goodness. Don't see watch, something that you'll never see again. Get to watch Patrick Mahomes toss a ball around. We're about <laughs> to have eight Quentin Nelsons running around the field blocking for the dude. I mean, my goodness, 20 NFL draft picks on the field every Saturday. That's something special right there. We'll see how it pans out for the Michigan Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh this year, which, interesting enough, I based on the recent projections that I've seen from ESPN, they are not favored to make the playoff over Ohio State this year, which I thought is kind of interesting considering what Michigan's done the last two years, the fact that Ohio State just lost their quarterback. So I think it's interesting that people aren't picking them to win the Big Ten this year and not make the playoff over Ohio State yet. Jim Harbaugh saying, hey, but we got 20 NFL draft picks on this roster. So speaking of that, there's you know ESPN you're talking about, they came out with their power index uh, earlier today. And the five teams they had listed for like the highest chances of making the college football playoff is Ohio State at 36.7%, Michigan at 
Alabama at number two with 20.4%, Georgia at number three with 19.1%, and then it drops down significantly after that, and you got Texas at 5.7 and LSU at 4.1, right? So you, first of all, back-to-back national champions, and you've got Alabama ahead of them who still doesn't have their quarterback situation figured out. They've got three guys, and they don't really want to start any of them, I don't think. Um, somebody was saying they think it's going to be Milrow, uh, which – you know, that means you're not even going to start the guy that you just went out and got as a transfer. And But Milrow was there when you went out and got the transfer. So that means he wasn't doing so good. You felt like you needed somebody else. And then you still got Ohio State, who also is starting a new quarterback. And you're putting them above the team that Georgia has so much of their offense returning. They've proven that their defense is that good every single year. And you're putting them, Ohio State, 16 17% ahead of them as far as a chance to get to the national or win the national championship game. It's just illogical. But yeah, like you said, you don't have Michigan on that list. They didn't even put them. They, they put Texas and LSU in that list before they put Michigan in that list. Now, Texas, I believe, because who in the Big 12 play? is going to challenge Texas? Yeah. If, if Texas can finally break that threshold under Steve Sarkeesian and they can finally live up to this expectation and Texas can officially be back for the umpteenth time, then yeah. They will be. They should be in the college football playoff for crying out loud. With Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy yeah. out there, and also now you add in Adonai Mitchell, like you should be in the college football playoff this year. For goodness' sake, like you should make the playoff with that schedule. Um, I don't know about a national championship though, because I still feel like one, they're the team that's kind of like Michigan in the sense that if they get there, what are they going to do when they finally play against a team like Ohio State or like Georgia uh, or a team like Alabama? Like, are they, what are they going to do when they finally get to that situation? You can use that excuse and get through your schedule in your regular season with that competition. Now I'm with you. They've they've got some really good pieces on that offense, and they're going to be able to move the ball pretty well. I I personally think that uh, Quinn Ewers is a pretty good quarterback. I think he was looking pretty good last year prior to the injury, and then when he he finally was coming back from the injury. Uh, so I think they can make the splash, but putting them in the the top four teams uh, or five teams that you think could actually win the national championship game versus putting like a, uh, you know, uh, Michigan on there. Like, I, I think that's interesting. That's the part that makes it interesting. I mean, not the fact that they're on the list in general to make the playoffs, but to say that they have a higher chance of winning a national championship game than a team like Michigan. And this is what this is what I would like to ask the people at ESPN, which I'm sure they I know they have this cultural power index that they use to an- analytically guess who they think is going to win the title and how the season is going to play out. Yeah, 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 yada yada yada. But would anyone say that Georgia got worse this offseason? The only question mark is that you don't know who's well, you know who, but you don't know if they're going to be able to perform the same way that that Stetson Bennett did. The but biggest at the same question time, is your quarterback. So I'm glad you said that, Stoddard, because the two teams ahead of them. Exactly. Do we think that Tyler Buckner, Jalen Miller, or Ty Simpson is going to live up to what Bryce Young was able to do at Alabama? Do we know what Ohio State is going to have at quarterback now that C.J. Stroud is gone? Yeah, you have Marvin Harrison. That's great for you. But what about quarterback? you got to have someone that can get him the ball. And Ohio State does pump in quarterbacks pretty efficiently, and they really they have a good one stowed away. It seems like every single year, but at the same time, so does Georgia. Georgia has good ones stowed away, ready to yeah. ready to take on the onslaught of being a starting quarterback at the University of Georgia. Especially considering so, like Alabama, who they they had to go to the transfer portal this year. Georgia's going, hey, can we somehow keep all the quarterbacks that we have on our roster and keep them from transferring? That's what they're doing, not going out and looking for a new arm to take over for them. Yeah, so it, it's almost like they don't they aren't questioning 
Ohio State and Alabama's quarterback situation, which I think you should definitely question Alabama's quarterback situation over Georgia's. And I, I don't know. That's what I would just like to know. Like, why are we? How how does your power index come to this type of conclusion? Like, what? Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But, but at the same time, what did we say at the beginning of the episode? It don't matter. It don't matter. It's just a bunch of it's out of your season, preseason you talk. Do. We're going to win yeah. games. That's what we're going to do. Everybody had Alabama as the favorite to win the national title last year, and they didn't even make the college football playoff, and they didn't even make the trip to yep. Atlanta. So you never know what could happen. But you got anything else you want to add, Stoddard? No, from that, but it's just because we put it in the comments, we can talk about, you know, is there one thing that you're looking for? Mm, the fall oh, camp is starting. Call. Let's let's say that before we get off. Uh, we'll good only call. spend a couple minutes on it. But uh, is there one thing that you're looking for from Georgia this this fall camp? Who's making waves at defensive line? Who, who's going to be that dude? Who's going to step up for Georgia? Who's, who is going to be that guy? When you circle in Georgia's defensive line, when you show that little – when they show the rosters before the game on that ESPN graphic or whatever and they highlight certain dudes, they're going to highlight Javon Bullard, they're going to highlight Kamari Laster, or they're going to highlight Malachi Starks. Who are they highlighting a defensive line? Is it going to be Nazir Stackhouse? Is it going to be Kristen Miller? Is it going to be Zion Logue? Is it going to be Michael Williams? Is it going to be Marvin Jones Jr.? Is it going to be Tyrone Ingram Jalkins? I just rattled off seven names or so right there. There's a bunch of dudes that could step up for Georgia this year. There's a bunch of guys that have the capability of being that guy on the defensive line and that could really step into that role that they need now that Jalen Carter is no longer on the roster. But who is it going to be? Because there's been talk about Nazir Stackhouse potentially being a first-round draft pick. Like That's the type of ceiling that they believe he has. And he's kind of had to sit back on the depth chart a little bit, and now this year is finally his turn. So we're going to get a full dose of what 78 can do on the defensive line. But I want to see it, man. I, I want to hear about it. I want to see it. And I want to know what is that defensive line looking at like? Because that's I think that's really the only question that you could really bring up about Georgia's roster, especially defensively, is like what's going to happen at defensive line? So that, I think that's the one thing that I would like to know going into fall camp. I think what I'm looking for is who's going to step up and be the leader on both sides of the ball. Because in the years past, it's usually a linebacker for Georgia. You know, it's been N'Kobe Dean. It's it's been uh, Monty Rice. It's been Nolan Smith. It's been those different guys at linebacker position inside and outside. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who steps up and takes that over this year. Is it going to be JDJ? Is it going to be Mondon? Uh, who Who's going to step up and take that leadership role on the defense and keep everybody in line? And then on the flip side, going back to the, the beginning of the conversation today about Kirby Smart's presser, he was asked about uh, – you know, Carson Beck's leadership ability. Is he a quiet leader? Is he in your face kind of leader? Like what, what is his leadership style? And and does he have control of that? And he said, you know, he's kind of a quieter guy. Uh, he's not really uh, high emotions, low. He, he's not high strong, like he's pretty even keel kind of thing. So my, my question is, can he go in there and take command? That's fine to have that personality, but you got to still be able to take command of that offense and have control of what's going on. He also said that as far as the quarterback position goes, He's looking for the guy that's going to be able to put everybody else in the best position, not just can you throw the football. Do you know the offense well enough to put everybody else where they're supposed to be and put them in the best position? So that's what I'm looking for from from Carson Beck on offense to lead this team and actually show that he can walk out of fall camp with all the respect from everybody around him and can command the the positioning and everything that comes with being a starting quarterback at Georgia and how much responsibility that is. Those are the two things I want to see, or the one thing I want to see is Who's taking control on both sides of the ball? Who is going to be that voice in that locker room, keeping everybody else in check? I'll give you a good coaching cliche since you bring up leadership that one of my high school basketball coaches used to always tell us. And he was, you're you're not as good as your weakest link, 
you're as good as your best leader. So there's some good coach speak for you right there about leadership and how pivotal it is for your team. So I am going to answer this question that we have in the chat before we get off and we do all the sign-offs and we do all the plugs and all that stuff. Um, our, our buddy Noah says, is Bear Alexander a difference maker as far as losing him goes as far as defensive line? I, I mean, absolutely. He was a guy that was getting rotated in a good bit there at the end of the season. He showed a lot of promise. He showed a lot of potential. And he looked like a guy that was going to potentially step in for the defensive line this next year and be a big difference maker. But now he's off to USC. But also the, the good news is, is I was able to rattle off seven, eight names that could potentially step into that role. It's just a, it's just a big matter of if and how, it, how are they going to go about it and if they mesh well, if that unit is able to mesh well, which I think they will be. I think Trey Scott has done a tremendous job recruiting that position and getting those guys in check every single year. The only downside is that you don't have a guy that's coming into this year that's already being projected as a first-round pick like you did with Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, and Jalen Carter. So, But they very well could develop into that, and I don't think Georgia's going to have to worry about um, how they fare in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. I think the two things on that with the offensive or the defensive line, first thing there is it, we're past the days of Georgia not having talent at that position. We're, we're to the days where you get three guys going in the first round. You've got guys getting drafted really high. Uh, that's that's where you're at now with the Georgia defensive line. I'm not concerned that they've been recruiting at the continuous level of putting guys in that position. So I think that somebody else is going to step up. We may not know who that's going to be just yet, but I, I do have confidence in the fact that somebody else is on that roster that's extremely talented and will fill that role. Second thing I wanted to say before I sign off here is uh, Mr. Williams talking about Van Pran, Cedric Van Pran being a leader on offense. And I think that's an extremely good uh, option as far as a leader goes. Your center is an extremely important piece of your offense as a whole. And if your quarterback's not necessarily the biggest outspoken guy, you could always get that from your center as well because they work so well together. They're they're you know leading traffic out there as well and directing traffic. Uh, I think that's something I would not be surprised to see him being the leader on that offense either. Mr. Williams, that's Mr. Williams. Right Got to do it. <laughs> Paying his respect. Got to. All right, guys. Forty-five minutes in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I think we gave a lot of good discussion. I think it's always fun to talk about Jim Harbaugh and some of the other national topics that are going around college football. We are a Georgia-oriented podcast, but we got to sprinkle in some national topics as well and talk about what is going on outside of the state borders and everything else that is going on. So glad we were able to mix that in along with some fall camp stuff because football is back. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, some news about the channel and what is going to be happening as the season approaches. So. I think most of you are over that most of our audience comes from the film guy network and Brooks Austin and everywhere in, in that area. So if you don't know what's going on there, we're going to be doing a show over there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, myself, Brooks and our other friend Christian. So that also means we are not going to be able to do our show on Wednesdays because I'm going to be doing that show over there, but we do have a plan. We're not going to just wash away this and say to heck with it. We're no longer doing it. We're going to be doing it on Sundays at 8 p.m. instead. So the good news about that is when Georgia plays on Saturday, you get our immediate reactions and you're yeah. going to get our you're going to get our discussion on that following game as soon as it happens. And you're going to get that news from us the very next day. So some content to look forward to on the weekends just after the football game. I think it's going to be great. I think you guys are going to enjoy that. A big change in, in, um, in scheduling, but don't worry. We're still going to be pumping out content for you guys, and we're going to be doing our best to be as consistent as possible. So not taking a break from that. No worries there, but just want to make sure that you guys know 
moving it to Sunday at 8 p.m. But that is going to do it for us. S starter drop down there below. Like and subscribe if you haven't already. As you come in, hit that like button before you leave. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Helps us continue to grow like you guys have helped us do throughout this entire offseason. And that means a lot to us, the amount of growth and support that we've seen even during the dog days of summer, that means a lot that you guys show up every single week for us and you like to listen to us babble on about off-season topics. So we appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter right there. There's our handles. If you haven't already, all the show updates are going to be there. So we appreciate you guys and start it. You can close us out. Yeah, football season's here. It's it's done. We're done with talking season. It's time for the pads to start popping and you're going to start seeing who these teams are. It, it, at this point, it is you are who you are and you're going to do what you're going to do. And I think Georgia's going to have a good year. So I'm excited to buckle in and uh, take the changes over here on this channel and move forward. I think one thing that we've learned uh, that after big games and stuff like that, we felt like Wednesday was kind of late in the in the week for news anyway. So mm-hmm. moving the show up to we had already talked about trying to move it to Monday or something anyway. So Moving it to Sunday, I think, is going to be better for everybody. I think it's going to be better for us, uh, being fresh on our minds and being right in there. Um, and then it's also going to make sure we're at the first part of y'all's news cycle. When you're looking for uh, you know, reactions to the game, we're going to be one of the first on the scene for you. So we're excited about it. But as always, keep it classy in the Classic City. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... Expresses sentiments of the entire Bulldog Nation. <laughs>